Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S. Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Politicus, the only podcast that talks about things political from the Portuguese-American perspective. My name is Angela Samos, and I am here with the most awesome co-host in the millions of universes that exist that we don't know about. (laughs) Well, well, that's going to be a hard one to beat. (laughs) Denise Borges, welcome again. Welcome, welcome, welcome to all. Thank you, Angela. And Angela is not only awesome, she's also outstanding. Oh, uh, here we go. Amazing. And so I'm going to keep on listening. You know, one of these days in this podcast, we're going to have to make it an hour long. So for the first 15 minutes, I can have an adjective for every letter of the, <laughs> of the alphabet, alphabet. Angela. That's awesome. So today we have Daniel Francisco. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to the show. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's going well. So Daniel sits on the city council for English Town, New Jersey, but he's also quite involved in being an activist around civil rights, the Second Amendment has run for other offices. And so what he says, he does all this for fun. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So Daniel, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about, you know, how you found yourself on this path and also about English town, because until today I hadn't heard of English town, New Jersey. Yeah. And with good reason, it's very small. It's like only about 2000 people and it sits within another town. But as you know, a, a Portuguese American person growing up, like invariably, Everywhere you go and everything in your life in some way you know, shaped your identity or been a part of how you arrive at who you are as an adult and as a person. It's so funny. I live in a town that is not decidedly Portuguese, but, you know, we're 20 minutes from South River, 40 minutes from Newark, which are large, you know, Portuguese populations. And across the street from me is a Portuguese flag of one of my neighbors. Like, it's just... There you even go. Though this, We're everywhere. Even though this is not a Portuguese town, it's just I moved here and coincidentally across the street is another pork job. And uh, it's funny. We see each other all the time, but not here. We see each other in South River. So it's every funny. morning we'll go get breakfast and we come across each other. So in my town, it, it, I have a Portuguese kid, two Portuguese kids on the fire department. It's just the way things, you know, end up playing mm-hmm. out. But mm-hmm. I, I do a lot of different things. You know, I professionally, I work in the energy industry, but that's the least interesting part of my day. I'm, I am an activist, as you mentioned, mainly in the civil rights and Second Amendment space. How I got into that, I I gave a speech actually in Dallas at the Gun Rights Policy Conference back in September. And in front of like a a slew of people from all over the country, not a single Portuguese person, I ended up talking about how my father serving in compulsory military service in Portugal, how that somehow played into my philosophy in life with, with firearms and civil rights. And they all looked at me funny until they realized, you know, what the story was about. My dad actually never never had a firearm. My family never was around guns. Uh, New Jersey, if you guys know, is a relatively progressive area, much like California. Um, there's not really a gun culture. And I told the story about my father during, you know, drill when he was in Portugal, how his drill sergeant actually used to harm him with his with his rifle. So he used to have this Heckler and Coke G3 rifle. That was the issue for the Portuguese military. And when they messed up in their drill, my father told me they would lay the rifle over their knuckles while they laid on the ground prone. And the drill Mm. sergeant would like stomp on top of the rifle. So my father always told me like, 
I never wanted anything to do with guns. I didn't like guns, mm-hmm. but that's my memory of firearms was in the Portuguese military was this guy hurting me. So I always like find that as like a funny story that kind of juxtapose the world that I live in now. But even what the time of my life when I got into the activism space, which is when I briefly moved to Connecticut, even there, as I was living by myself four and a half hours away from my hometown, I was surrounded by Portuguese people. There's a huge Portuguese community there. I've been to San Francisco, Florida, all over the country. If you're on any of the coasts, it's just impossible to avoid the people. So the, the, the culture just becomes part of you. It becomes mm-hmm. it informs your opinions. It informs your culture and your philosophy. And um, it's 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 the type of thing that when you're in the when you're in the community, you always kind of you see the dog whistles, you see the little behaviorisms of people. And you go, oh, that guy's Portuguese. Oh, I know that guy. That person looks Portuguese. So it's it's something you can't get away from. It's funny that you mentioned, you know, that it, it being Portuguese informs who you are. And, and it absolutely does. Right. But it also made me think of a survey that Palkus did about, oh, gosh, it's been two years ago already, I think, where we. We wanted to find out, you know, are most Portuguese, do they vote left or do they, do they vote right or do they vote down the middle? Because people will make assumptions one way or the other. And um, the the particular survey that we did, you know, it was online only. So it was a very limited pool of people, if you will. But it came out that, you know, most, most people were voting left. And we always felt as an organization that as a community, we were split down the middle, kind of just like the country was. The rest of the country. So it's funny how having the same culture can influence us in different ways. You know what I mean? So I'd be curious to to hear from your perspective in your activism work, as you encounter Portuguese people in different parts of the country or even just different parts of, of New Jersey, has people's Portuguese, you know, the, has the culture influence them one way or the other when it comes to civil rights or the second amendment? That's, that's a great question. And and it's, it's a deep answer and it's probably way nerdier than like (laughs) retail political politics because people think of politics as like left, right, Republican, Democrat, progressive, conservative. And these terms are fluid and mean nothing to some people and mean everything to others. Right. So the way I define like what real political thought is, is, statism versus anarchy, right? And what that means is like, do you believe that the solution to things is government monopoly or government force? Or do you believe the solution to things is complete liberty where people are free to do whatever they want? That's the real juxtaposition. If you want to look at the Portuguese experience in America, and you guys know more about it than I do, but you need not to look at, you could even look at other communities similar to ours. Let's talk about New Jersey. Um, You could talk about the Italian community. They were here generations before us. The city of Newark and Ironbound was Italian before it was Portuguese. You watch The Sopranos. They actually do a very, it, although it's a fictional show, they do a very good explanation of this where they say, you know, we, we came here to this country poor. They made us work the jobs that nobody wanted to do, laying brick, doing construction. Does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they were downtrodden in their communities. Everybody looked down and people quickly forget historically in America Catholics and Southern Europeaners, they were looked down upon in Mm -hmm. 100, 150 years ago in the United States. It was a Protestant country, so Catholics were not very welcomed. Irish people were loathed. Italian people were loathed. Portuguese, uh, the Portuguese community has in itself, much like the Italians in this little speech in The Sopranos, a a pride of of taking care of their internal community. Much like the Sopranos make the joke that they started the, the, the mafia, even though it's not true, the mafia was started because of prohibition, but uh, fi- some fictional poetic license here. Then this the show, they say, well, 
we had to watch out for ourselves. So we created this community and yeah, we took, we took what we wanted, but we watched out for our family. We watched out for ourselves. Now without the crime element, I always thought that was prescient because it speaks to me to what I know about the Portuguese community. Coincidentally in college, I had to write a senior thesis about women in the West, which was about women in the Dole canning factory in Oakland, California. I wrote a 50 page Hmm. paper about this Mm -hmm. and much like the Massachusetts, uh, Asorian, Asorian crowd, the continental, you know, New Jersey crowd and this, you know, largely Asorians of the West coast. Like what is the center of the Portuguese community? It's the church. And it's Mm -hmm. not so much because of the faith, the faith being a byproduct of what binds those people together. That's what protected you, right? If you had a son who got sick, or someone who needed a scholarship, or someone whose house got destroyed in some natural disaster. It was the community in the church that voluntarily came together to raise funds and help the downtrodden, right? So mm-hmm. in and of itself, that the, the people think of politics, they immediately think, well, is that a Republican thing or a liberal thing? No, when I think of the Portuguese experience, to me, it speaks to true anarchy, right? It's they didn't wait around for the government to find a solution for them. They didn't wait around for someone to say, hey, you community that we don't know, I want to bring you in and help you. They, they helped their own people. They created their own community, usually based around a church, created their own scholarships, created their own support network, mm-hmm. found jobs for each other and thrived and, you know, helped each other because of their shared identity. That's to me like real politics, right? That's, that's real uh, culture. And that's what really shapes that community. Now you ask the average person in New Jersey, you know, average Portuguese person, you know, do they identify with being Catholic? Like they'll probably say yes. And some people may immediately think, well, that means they're conservative. Well, no, because they might at the same time say, I hate Donald Trump or I hate whatever retail Republican politician. I don't take as much currency in what people say. I take much more currency in their lifestyle, right? In their identity. And to me, that's what defines the Portuguese experience. I don't know if it's the same for you guys and your studying and your experience, but my family in Newark and the people that I know, that at least from Massachusetts, like they were very insular, took care of themselves. And I know very few people that live a life like dependent on the state or dependent on government. Most people are they're very enterprising, hardworking, mm-hmm. and they go about their life and just don't want to be bothered. Right. They don't want to be harassed. And some people may say may label that as a sort of type of, quote unquote, politics. I think it's a little bit deeper than just labels. And that's sort of how I define things. I think that that might have been the community of a few years ago, but it's quite a bit different, especially here in California and even in Massachusetts from my studies as well. But one question that I had and get your comments on it, when you said, you know, the, the U.S. Is, was a predominantly Protestant country, it kind of still is because there's only 70 million Catholics out of 335 million people. So Catholics and the Catholic Church is still a minority. Do you feel that within time, uh, what is your experience? Because in Portugal, in mainland Portugal, more than the Azores and Madeira, but certainly in mainland Portugal, the church has a less profound impact. It still has a very, very large impact in the Azores, and it still has a you know significant impact in Madeira, but it has less, less impact in mainland Portugal. For example, the last studies, you know, there's it's uh, it's in the seventies the percentage that that identified to be Catholic and that was ninety eight percent you know about forty years ago, and of those seventies only about seventeen percent you know practice. So do you think that that the, this insular uh, or this insular feeling that you said and 
and and and I agree the community has been insular. That has been a good thing, but also a bad thing in many aspects. And how do you think that this insularity that we live here makes the communities here uh, still more tied to the church than what they are in Portugal? So the evolution or whatever you want to call it that happened in Portugal did not happen in the community. Those are great questions. And you redirect me if I bounce around trying to remember all of them. But you're, I think you're absolutely correct that that is more of a historical historical precedent. When I was speaking to that, and I prefaced it by saying it's not necessarily the religion. I think I said that in the beginning. It's that the church is a conduit for community, and it happens to be that they were rooted in religion. So I do. you're absolutely correct that even agnostic to like Portuguese people, the Ameri Americans in general are more church-going than Europeaners. They will identify as being religious or theistic on a percentage points way above, you know, the continental Europeaners now. So you're 100% correct on that. I was more speaking to that, say, my parents' generation. My parents came here in 1982, I believe, or 1981. They, that was absolutely like part the pivotal center of the community. I remember going to St. Benedict's Church as a kid to go to Festas there. Like I even in South River right now, there's a, a child who's unfortunately sick with like a very rare cancer. And both the church and the one of the restaurants have these signs plastered all over town. Right. It's it's voluntary community that's like coming together to try to still solve some of these ills. If you go to South River, everyone there is from Gafanga do Carmo and, you know, the Aveiro, Aveiro Litoral area of Portugal. They're all from that region. They all go to the club and they all know each other. It's like almost like a little high school. So um, you started speaking also to generational change. So clearly I, I'm born in America, but uh, I'm born here. My parents are the immigrants. Do they have issues with assimilation or sort of the culture blending together? No, I, I don't find that. I think that, you know, very quickly, the children of the immigrants, you know, sort of become the stewards for the parents as their uh, introduction to like American culture. I, I remember as a child, like translating things for my parents or interpreting documents for my parents, even though they speak English, but you know, when it came to things that are a little bit more complicated and mm -hmm. now, you know, 90% of my day is very much like, you know, your typical American lifestyle, but invariably, like there's just certain elements of my life, whether it be that community in South river or Newark, the people that I know we're going to a New Jersey devil's game in a month. That's a Portuguese heritage night. We go every year. It's mm -hmm. just little silly things like this that you just, you can't avoid. And if our friends say, let's go out to eat, it just invariably comes that you go to one of the Portuguese restaurants where, you know, the owner and he's known you since you were six. Um, you know, so it's, mm -hmm. it, it just becomes intertwined as part of your culture. I'm, I'm failing to remember some of your, your last questions. If you can remind me, I'm happy to address it. No, I think you addressed them all. But I had one question that based on what you said, which is, uh, and I'd like to get your take on it, which is, you know, you're a son of an immigrant and, and recent immigrants uh, because your parents in 1980, 81, as you said, they were the last wave of immigration from Portugal. Uh, basically, yes. as you know, the, in the mid 80s, it began to slow down from mainland Portugal. And by that time, it had already died from Madeira and the Azores. So they're kind of the last wave of that wave that came from mainland Portugal between 1980 and 1990, basically. So you have this very strong contact, obviously, still with Portugal. To, to the 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 opposite would be Angela, whose uh, grandparents are the ones that immigrated, or great grandparents. So great grandparents. And, uh, great grandparents. So here in California, we're dealing with the three hundred, the largest Portuguese American population, nearly three hundred fifty thousand people. 
but about uh, 60% of those, it, they identify as being Portuguese, but it was either their grandparents or their great-grandparents. So we have that to deal with. And so, and that's what I, I wanted to get your take as a son of immigrants. You know, uh, immigrants have been here now over 40 years, the majority of their life, I'm sure, in America. But how do you see this blending, as you said? Because indeed, America is going to, or the Portuguese America, is going to look more like my niece, who is married to an Hispanic, and they have a blended family. And that's, or any other ethnicity, uh, than the traditional Portuguese in just the very physical space of the Portuguese American community. How do you see your generation adapting to something that here in California has already started many generations ago? Do you think that the Portuguese are willing to go beyond the local club and get our culture into mainstream? Because I think we may be talking about political activism but it's all about the Portuguese world. And if we don't get Portugal in the mainstream, it's not going to be the culture that we want it to be maybe even as soon as 20, 25 years from now. Your thoughts? Yeah. So, I mean, you're, it seems to me I'm hearing your tone and I'm guessing, I'm assuming that you're longing for a preservation of that, of that culture. Um, and you're asking me whether I think that's possible. Um, I, well, I'm asking whether you think that's possible in the American mainstream. Well, not short, in the club, not in the club, because the clubs, we know they all die. I mean, you know, here in California, course, yeah. at one time we had 150 Sons of Italy, and now we have down to, you know, in just one very small area, lodges, and now we're down to five. So that happens with all cultures. Do you think that the Portuguese American community, your generation, sons and daughters of immigrants, can move the community into a mainstream realm? I, I would say that. With that being the goal, I, I'd be somewhat pessimistic that that's how it ends up. Um, I would say that me in my lifetime, it's always going to be a part of me. But obviously, my son, uh, and I'm married to an Italian woman, and I have a son. So obviously, for him, it's going to be diluted. Um, it becomes a matter of it just becomes a matter of arithmetic, right? If there's if there's no new influx, you know, coming in, and you're diluting the culture on a granular level, I, I think it's somewhat of a uh, a certainty that it's going to dilute itself into non-existence at some point. I think the 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 way I was addressing it was more of why am I where I am now? And I was explaining that that's my definition is because I came from that. Um, if you're asking me, do I think it's going to stay mainstream? I think it's difficult. I think it's difficult to do that. One, you know, we are a, a relative. If you ask the average person, where is Portugal? I mean, just be honest. In America, they're not even going to be able to point to it on a map. Um, we're, we're not the, the largest, most present immigrant community uh, nationwide. But if you ask someone in New Jersey, or I'm sure in your region, they know because they've heard of it. They've eaten at the restaurants. What really lives is that those little cultural icons, the clubs, the restaurants, the soccer club named after a team, those sort of things uh, kind of allow the some element of preservation to continue. But I would I would say if you're talking about uh, mainstream relevance in two generations, you're going to find uh, what happened to... You see, the Italian community has some sort of image because of pure numbers, right? Just pure demographics. There were so mm -hmm. many Italian immigrants. But I actually joke about this with my friends who are Portuguese uh, immigrants, first generation, just like me. I, we, we have this sort of, this could be just a heuristic, you know, it could be just a personal bias. But when we were children, we have this like fond memory of the restaurant food and Portuguese restaurants being amazing. And then we, as we grow older, we see like the quality diminishing in certain ones and we go, yeah, this must be what Italians felt like as 
like their food sort of became mainstream. And now there's Domino's pizza. There's like fast food, you know, Italian food. Uh, we, we kind of allude to that loss, you know, even in our short, you know, 30 something year lifetime. I, I think invariably it's going to be diluted. I, I think it's difficult mm -hmm. to continue it short of an infusion of new people or, you know, somehow you, you become incredibly insular, like certain communities in America that like literally shut themselves down and say, I will not marry anyone unless they are part of X culture. That is increasingly rare and only very particular people do that. So I think it's invariably going to fizzle out. So I want to bring it back around to kind of bringing all these themes together. So we're talking about the, you know, yes, as a community, we are being diluted as happens to many other cultures. But then there's this, you know, desire to maintain this element of our heritage, whether it's in the mainstream or whether it's even just in our local communities, but it takes effort to do that. So I'd like to tie that effort to being an activist. And, and I'm sitting here thinking, well, maybe we need Portuguese activists, not for any political cause, but for the community. Right. Like I think if you have some already, <laughs> but they're but they're not some they're of us who work who work 98 percent for the community for free. If that's not an activist, I don't know what the hell it is. But nobody calls you an activist, Denise. Oh, I call, my, I call myself oh, a, a Portuguese oh. activist. Yeah. Oh, people okay. look at me like, you know, what are you selling? <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I often use I often use your phrase. You're proud to be Portuguese. That's great. What are you going to do about it? Um, I, I use that a lot because I, I think it's phenomenally put very succinct and and speaks to the point that it does take work right so because i think when people think of activists or activism sometimes they think of it could be okay that's the crazies that protest well, and that's, things like yeah, that right that's what so, i was going to ask daniel yeah in that aspect there, you know yeah, how a, do you make that a good word you know for yeah. the <laughs> for no, the portuguese I, american community and for everyone because you know Indeed, Angela is totally correct. When we look at activists in today's mainstream world, we look at crazies, whether they be left, right, center, whatever they are, you know, yeah. even if you're, you know, for, you know, uh, whatever rights you are for or against, <laughs> if you consider the word activist has a negative connotation, unfortunately, and shouldn't. It's funny that you think that I, I don't I don't look at it that way. I think that this is much like the labeling before with Republican, Democrat, conservative, like words have meanings to different people. Right. So mm -hmm. um, like a nun is an activist. Okay? Sure. Like you, sure. you wouldn't think that no one when I say the word activist, you're right, you're thinking of the college person. No, no, no. I, I mean, I'm not thinking the sign. But Daniel, like the average person does think activists are. And I think it was just a, not recent, not too long ago. The New York Times said something about that. People look when, and a lot of people are shying away from that word sometimes, you know, in the mainstream because people look at them as crazies and they're not, you know, I totally agree with you. That's fine. Yeah. People, you know, people weaponize words all the time because they want you to stop using it or stop engaging in it. I don't allow other people to dictate, you know, what I do or what I define myself as, but I agree with you. There are people that have that conception of a person with a mohawk, you know, protesting with a sign yelling about, you know, the environment or something or right? whatever your cause du jour is. An activist can be someone feeding the homeless. I have a friend mm -hmm. of mine who owns who runs an organization called Feed Philly, and she's she's Italian. She's not Portuguese, but they gather money together. They 
they cook meals and they literally hand deliver meals to homeless people. That's an activist. It's it, they're 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 advancing a cause. Their cause being to help hungry people, right? A nun is an activist. Even the person waving the sign about whatever issue, political issue, is an activist. Um, to me, the space that I got involved in was, like I said, I was never used a firearm, never was into firearms. I moved to Connecticut, and long story short, for the sake of time, I I got involved in a lot of situations where there was crime happening, where there was dangerous things happening around me. And it, I didn't get into it because I thought it was cool or I thought it was political or I wanted to be an activist. I did it because the people who worked with me, who were Marines and people in the military said, you better carry a firearm in this job if you want to live. This was Bridgeport, Connecticut, which, you know, has a big Portuguese community. Mm -hmm. Right. So I went around and like I got jumped many times. I got robbed. I, I got my people waiting for me outside my car. That was like me coming out of New Jersey out of college and learning a real life lesson very quickly. Um, and so that's what kind of like inserted me into that world. And then obviously I can I can speak extemporaneously to like Portuguese the typical Portuguese people and what they believe about politics in Portugal versus America. But to me, uh, I'm involved in the sense of, I think every individual is sovereign. I think every individual is more important than anything else. And they come before anything else. And I don't want the state having a monopoly on anything that I can't have, or I shouldn't be able to get elsewhere. So I'm, I'm actually, if you look up my last name, my namesake, Francisco V. Cook, that's the state, the court case in federal court, um, fighting for New Jerseyans' rights to carry a handgun. Now, this was already uh, mitigated by the Bruin decision, which happened this past June, which was a very big decision, kind of blew up part of the case as it is in favor of the result we're searching for. But it's still being litigated along with some other cases in New Jersey. And the the, the irony is, like, when I talk to, to Portuguese people here, again, even though we live in, to go back to the stereotypical labels, a progressive, quote-unquote, blue area, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a Portuguese male father who has a family who tells you he doesn't have a gun or isn't interested in a firearm. See, that's, uh, they, that's they, very interesting to me because that's that do you, you think that's a product of America because it's not a product of Portugal because it's definitely know, not a product of Portugal. Yeah, yeah. So it's a product. So that is a product of assimilation because as you said, and, and the, the numbers are there, the Portuguese just don't have the same relationship with firearms that Americans do. So do you think that if you were saying that in New Jersey and maybe even Connecticut, that uh, you think that most Portuguese families have firearms, that is something that they've assimilated from the United States, right? Either either that they have one or that they're sympathetic to it. Like they're not, they're, they wouldn't believe, oh, I don't want to see them around me or I want some kind of regulation put upon them. And again, this is anecdotal. I've obviously sure, not done sure, any sort sure. of survey or anything sure. like that. But I'm just the saying in my you've circle, had, you've seen that. Yes. And I, I, I've taken people shooting. I, I train people on basics and whatnot. And when you speak to people in South River, you speak to people in Newark, I mean, particularly if they're in a bad neighborhood, that's where they really understand it because they're like, no one's going to save me here. If something goes wrong, like I have nothing around me. You can, you can, I can get very nerdy into Supreme court and district court cases about police, but the police have like no legal duty to protect you. And that's anywhere in the 50 states of, the, of America. So when most people like come to that realization, usually with a real life incident happening to them, like me in my 20s when I was in Connecticut, that's when you start, stop caring about the labels and start getting more practical about things. Um, but yeah, I, I've rarely met uh, someone of Portuguese descent or a Portuguese immigrant who lives in one of these communities 
and is like, oh my God, you have a gun. I never want to talk to you ever again. It's <laughs> I've never had that. But ironically, if you speak to the average like suburban couple, they might more than likely, more than 50% of the time, say the opposite. But in, in Portugal, as you know, it's the opposite. You know, it's yes. like, you know, and so so this shift has been a form of assimilation, basically, because of the places where they live. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I know that in Portugal- Because we've uh, never had that, you know, that- the 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 main thought process between Portugal and the United States when it comes to, you know, and that's just not just the laws, but uh, you know, forget the laws, uh, although they're important, but um, you know, the idiosyncrasy of people, you know, I mean, you know, is that uh, the relationship between a firearm and the Portuguese is totally different than the relationship between uh, a firearm and an American. And you're saying that in at least in New Jersey, the people that you, you know, know and, and 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 Connecticut, they've adapted to this American concept and not have the Portuguese concept with them. Yes. And I I could get very meta with this very quickly because we, we can cut to the chase of Portugal is a, a much more uh, the government is much more involved in your life than, say, the average American. I don't I don't want to say California, New Jersey, the average American. So there's bigger government in Europe than here. We all know that taxes or tax schemes are different. All of this. The relationship with firearms is different. I sure. could get on a very made a level and say it's because historically in Europe, they are more inculcated with the state having power over them. Whereas in the United States, we're a relatively young country and the country was literally birthed on shooting the people that were trying to impose levy taxes against them. So in just our very like youthful existence, plus the fact that New Jersey, uh, excuse me, not New Jersey, the America is a very rural country. So, you know, if you were going out West, you didn't have to have a, you, you didn't have the luxury of having an opinion about a firearm. You had to have one to live like that. Sure, it's sure, sure, it's sure. very simple. So yeah, it is was, very much, it's yeah. very much more inculcated in our culture, Correct. but at the same token in so Portugal, I, yeah, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. It's the it's it's a process of assimilation, basically. So some but of these you, these things come through assimilation because there, there's going to be a very very big difference, and it's no different than the than a Portuguese celebration that is done some uh, different way in in Portugal and and it's done differently in uh, in America because we've assimilated some things uh, to America. So the if, if American if Portuguese especially immigrants are a lot more receptive to the idea of guns. It is something that they've, they've adopted from the United States, which is, you know, like they've adopted many other things. Yeah, I, I'll even make this anecdote, though. Despite that dichotomy that I just established of us being different than Europe and Portugal, I would say that despite that regulation for various things being stricter in Europe, I would say that on a granular community level, there's an element of higher freedom there and less regulation there on the on the local level. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but one very big anecdote that I always tell people is if you go to your Alvea in Portugal and, uh, you know, your small town that has a few thousand people and you're not in Lisbon, you're not in Porto, you, you count how many police cars you see. And the answer invariably is like zero or like very few. But if you go to a suburban town like where I live. And it's literally impossible to leave your town without seeing a police car. And in those more rural areas in Portugal, there is this element of freedom. And I don't just mean that in the political sense of if I do something stupid and say something dumb to someone, they may hit me. I may get robbed, you know, or or I need to help this person because no one else is around. They know both ends of the spectrum there. Even though they're like government is large, there's more largesse there with the state. 
there is more of an element of freedom like in these smaller communities than say even some suburban areas in the United States. So that's why I really like don't like to get into labels about what is this or let's define this or that. It's very granular and it's it's more meta sometimes than we think as well. Well, and I will say, you know, labels easily morph, change. They mean yeah, something fleeting. one minute. They mean something one minute. The next, they don't. And well, it's very Port- Portuguese American. Yeah. Portuguese American is a label. But anyway, we're not going to discuss labels. We'll never get off this podcast. <laughs> I know this, is, this has well, been a very interesting podcast. <laughs> so we we are at, at time, but I, I, you know, given that you. I will say you're the, our first guest, I think, that is a self-proclaimed activist, right? I, I, and Danish can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've had uh, I think, somebody that's uh, anybody. Maybe they do activism, but sure, sure. I don't know that anybody has come on the podcast and said I'm an activist, right? So I, I would love you know for our listeners to hear what is the day in the life of an activist or a, a week in the life of an activist. Uh, you know, if if somebody's out there thinking, you know, I'm really passionate about this topic or this issue, but I don't know where the heck to start or what I could be doing, right? So what does what does an activist do? Well, it, like I said, you define that you define that experience to yourself, and it can be small, it can be big. Um, are you guys familiar with the organization Project Veritas? I've heard about it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So I I I went to college with those guys, and I used to be their executive director. So that was sort of my baptism into seeing like the political world was seeing it from behind closed doors, investigating people that kind of informed me like where I went from there um, in terms of activists. Like, for example, uh, m- maybe my, my, uh, my mission is to advance, you know, firearm rights to some people that, like you said, it conjures up some person protesting with a sign or a lobbyist in Washington, DC. What that looks like to me on a very granular level is finding a, someone who is neutral or negative on that and saying, have you ever shot before? And they'll say invariably no. And I'll say, hey, I have a private club where I can take you into a lane. I'll teach you the basics. I'll bring a very basic firearm. I'll teach you all the safety mechanics you need to know. And I'll bring all the ammunition on me and I'll show you uh, your first time shooting a firearm. Now, ex- exposure is everything. And in, in most things in life, like that's how, you know, people demystify things they don't understand, which scare them through exposure. Any good psychiatrist will tell you that, right? If there's something you don't like, hey, at some point you have to incrementally expose yourself to it to demystify it and make it less scary. I have converted many people who would have told you a year ago, I don't want anything to do with guns. They kill little kids. Uh, I hate them. I only want the police to have them. And now they're like, hey, I own a firearm. I still don't like all the regulation. Maybe I want some regulation, but now I have one. I'm comfortable around it. That that in and of itself is a very small version of activism. And you can make that analogy to any other cause, right? Whether Mm -hmm. it's feeding the homeless or environmentalism, right? You can go clean up a gum wrapper on your street. That's activism, right? You're, You're making a small incremental step towards your goal. It doesn't have to be some massive thing. But on the grand level, yes, I am in a way putting my name out there in a way that's some people aren't willing to because there's a lot of backlash you get for being involved in what now a federal level lawsuit. Um, I have police chiefs, attorney generals, and state police all looking into my life. And uh, I'm very much a, a somewhat of a public figure in this realm now. But that's my that's my choice to do that. I'm proud to be a happy warrior in that space on that sort of level, while at the same time, I'm happy to go introduce someone who's never even shot a gun before to go to my club and do it in a comfortable space where they don't have to feel scared and learn something. Um, so a- activism can look like many things. Uh, and even in the political sense, you know, uh, 
at the at, at at some juncture, I obviously hope to liberalize like certain laws regarding regulation. And I know it's going to happen, not because I lobbied a politician, but because I participated in this judicial space with this work, with this lawsuit work. So that in, invariably is going to affect nine million people in New Jersey, many of which hundred, a few hundred thousand who are Portuguese, who are going to have a, a a natural right that they did not have just literally a year ago. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say picking up a gum wrapper is is activism or, you know, feeding the homeless is activism. I I don't think people traditionally think of it that way. So it's it's an interesting way to reframe your initial, I guess, thoughts about what activism is. I think most people would probably call that being, you know, civically active or uh, being a community organizer or things like that. There's a lot of other terms out there, but I think it's good to reframe what activism means so that it doesn't have that negative connotation for some. So this has been very, very interesting. I feel like we could have, there were like four or five different offshoot topics that we could have <laughs> dedicated uh, podcasts about that. But thank you for your time, Daniel. This has been really enlightening and interesting. And I, I'm sure some of our listeners out there either strongly disagree or strongly agree with some of the things that we talked about here. But that's the whole point of these conversations is to get people talking and get people debating and you know trying to understand one another. So I think this has been great. So really, thank you very much for your time. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to chat with both of you. And I welcome anyone who does disagree. I especially want to talk to people who disagree. Um, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter at dfrancisco7. I have a nonprofit, Blue Star Union. Any, Reach out to me through any of those channels. I will happily talk with you and uh, go over all of these principles. And we will include those links in our show notes so people can easily find them. That way they can reach out to you. So thank you for your time. Thank you to our listeners who joined us for another episode. Uh, if you haven't, if you have subscribed already, thank you so much. If you haven't subscribed, what are you waiting for? Hit the subscribe button, please, and share this uh, podcast channel and this podcast episode, if you will, with family and friends so we can broaden the conversation, invite more people to the conversation. Take a minute, leave us a review on iTunes because that will help more people find us and join the conversation. Um, we need more people in our community having these, uh, having this kind of a dialogue, addressing these kinds of issues because uh, they they affect us as a community. Just because it's not a Portuguese specific issue doesn't mean that it doesn't affect us. So we need more people in our community having these conversations. If you have a suggestion for a guest or you'd like to be a guest, please email us at palcus at palcus.org. Um, and with that, thank you, Denise, again for thank your you. participation. Thank you, Daniel. And um, with that, we'll say have a great day. And until next time. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of Palcus, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Palcus is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about Palcus and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus at palcus.org. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palcus.